0: Hello and welcome to Horror Cult Trash Over the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we are at our final episode of Pride Month. Yes. We've spoke about, do you know what, some fairly good films actually, the whole month. Yeah. Uh, not counting, obviously, last week's Prom Night remake. Uh, yeah. But we do have a film today that, is, that was released the same year as the original Prom Night. We have Cruising from 1980. Directed by William Friedkin, the director of uh, one of the greatest horror films of all time, The Exorcist. And uh, it was made on an $11 million budget and made just over $19 million. So, um, we're going to start this one by telling you what makes a film gay. Because uh, right from the get-go of the trivia, it's, it's going to be about what makes us so
1: gay. <laughs> yeah. Well, essentially, it's a gay slasher film, really. Yeah. Um, so it's a thriller, um, horror film, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, set within the S&M leather scene, um, g- you know, gay scene, um, where Al Pacino goes undercover uh, as a gay man and um, tries to find a gay serial killer who's been killing gay men. (laughs) And that's what makes it gay. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. Uh, There's a a lot of controversy surrounding
0: this, and I think this might have something to do with the money that it made, because, I mean, you know, if you you look at um, films that have this sort of reputation around them, uh, more people are definitely bound to go see it, even though the controversy is really there too, uh, from people trying to stop people from seeing the film.
1: Yeah, Cruising is one of those films where, as I watch it, I think, who is this for? Who is the audience for this film? Mm. It's a gay story, but not for a gay
0: audience. It's strange because, I mean, if you watch it nowadays, it, it is kind of... I think it's gained a lot of... I think it's gained more appreciation from the LGBT community now compared to what it did back in the day. Um, I mean, realistically, it is a horror film for 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 gay people because
1: you look at the things that happen in it; they still go on today. Um, yeah, but it's it's one of those where a gay story is told by straight men. Yeah. And it gets so much um, wrong in yeah. its stereotypes and its representation. It's not so much, we're going to slap, you know, we're going to give you this gay story, therefore, gay people must appreciate it because mm. we're giving you visibility. Well, it's the wrong kind of visibility. Yeah.
0: And that's what's so frustrating because, I mean, the, you know, the story is telling is something that people should be aware of, you know, that these sort of people exist, uh, like I said, even to this day. Um but it's what happens within the story that makes it so problematic.
1: Yeah, and and it's exploitative. It is. It is. Which is in the, the trivia. It's, um, so it's based on a. a, a will you tell us. The well, yeah. I mean,
0: I'll start from the top. Uh, because there's a lot of trivia to uh, to go through for this one. Um. So two of the notorious in film gay uh, gay bars, Mineshaft and Eagle's Nest, both barred William Friedkin after seeing the film. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and for research, William Friedkin would go into these bars, um, dressed in nothing but a strap. Oh wow! Yeah, and and he would also uh, he also worked with members of the mafia um, to get research for this film uh, because apparently they owned most of New York City's gay bars at the time. Yeah,
1: yeah, and th- and they did so pre Stonewall as well. It was the mafia who owned all the gay bars. Um, Karen
0: Allen. Uh, star of Indiana Jones is in this and she was never shown a complete script because of how her character in the film was meant to be in the dark um, but also most of her scenes were they all ended up on the cutting room floor I was going to say
1: complete script the script she probably got was two pages long <laughs> yeah. she absolutely has nothing to do in this film apparently she had loads more but it was all cut mm. uh, ongoing protests
0: on the gay community uh, made Al Pacino uncomfortable whilst filming so a lot of the time in the film, when you see him looking uncomfortable, it's because he genuinely was uncomfortable because of the protests that are happening. Um, people would make loud noises during filming, so then they could, they'd have nothing to work with. They'd shine bright lights onto the set. They did, basically, the gay community did everything they could to try and stop this film
1: from yeah, being made. It is, Again, uh, I question who the audience for, but I also question why Al Pacino would have made this film Well, it was originally for Richard Gere. Yeah. So Richard Gere would have been an upcoming actor, Mm. you know, um, taking... It's a a big, big role. William Friedkin was a big director. Uh Uh-huh. I don't understand why Al Pacino took this role. It 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 is
0: strange, because Richard Richard Gere was the first choice. Um, William Friedkin had his heart set on him. Uh, Even De Niro, Robert De Niro and Roy Scheider were going for roles in the film as well. Um, But... William Friedkin was basically told Al Pacino wants to do it. Al Pacino is a massive star right now. You gotta have him.
1: Yeah. And. Uh, it, for me, it doesn't work. It, it, it
0: makes it makes a lot of it laughable, um, especially when he's dancing in a gay bar and stuff. It's just, seeing Al Pacino in this role just looks weird. Um, but I think Al Pacino, he he must be some sort of ally within the gay community, because look at what he did in Dog Day Afternoon. He, he seems to be in a lot of these films where he takes on these roles that involve
1: um, gay trans characters. Yeah. And such. Yeah. Um, so he's, he's always been a, 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 an actor that pushes boundaries. Yeah. Um, I, w- I wouldn't say maybe later on, but he's not one of these actors that will just star in anything. No. Give me the money and I'll be in it. He seems to, at least at this time, mm. be a bit more um, choosy about his roles. Yeah, a role that he can really get into, um, and I think this, the the way the film ends up, potentially wasn't the kind of film that uh, Albertina was expecting, or even William Friedkin. Really, mm. um, it 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 is an exploitation film, I think. Yeah, I mean, Richard Hefner,
0: who's the head of the ratings board in America, said there isn't enough triple X's in the alphabet to rate this movie. It it does try and be as extreme as possible. There was The, the original cut was actually 140 minutes long, uh, and 40 minutes of that footage was supposedly destroyed. And William Friedkin said it, it didn't contain more violence, only anything important to the plot. It was just basically more sexuality is more sex and graphic nudity and such
1: yeah 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 it it's it's a weird one because for a film that's so full of sex you know and and gay sex it's not really full of gay sex mm. it's just a lot of asses hanging out and a lot of yeah cd um hookups you know and, and stuff like that it's not really the only real time we, we fully see any, anyone having sex, really, mm. is between Al Pacino and um, Karen Allen. Yeah. Um, so it, it's... Yeah. Um, I, I could see how a lot of that would have been cut, though, at the time.
0: Yeah. Uh, as you were saying earlier, this is obviously... Um, this is based on real events. So it's, it's based on a true story, but it's also based on the novel by Gerald Walker... It was based, when it comes to real life, it was based on a series of murders of gay men uh, between 1962 and 1979 in New York City. And uh, what's really interesting here is um, Friedkin was planning to make this adaptation, and then he found out around the time that um, the guy who plays a radiologist in The Exorcist, uh, Paul Bateson, I believe his name was, he had murdered uh gay critic Addison Verrill and there was evidence saying that he was this famous body bag killer as well. Okay. Um, that was going around at the time. are you, are you aware of uh, this whole Exorcist?
1: Yeah, yeah. So, well, it's the Exorcist curse, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and they think this this is part of the curse is, uh, that they have this serial killer who is leaving bodies in the in the river. What What's the river that goes through New York? Uh, I'm not sure. Excuse my ignorance. I think it's the Hudson. Don't don't quote me on it. <laughs> I may have just embarrassed myself. Um, but he was leaving body parts in the river, and but he was only convicted of one killing, wasn't he?
0: Yeah, yeah, but the um, it still to this day hasn't been solved. But that everyone apparently surrounded it thinks that it was him. Yeah. And uh, freaking actually visited him uh, after he found all this out to get into his psyche to uh, get more hands on with the film yeah which uh,
1: again, it just yeah, it does add to why it feels very exploitive yeah it, it's it's a difficult one when when you're doing a film like this based on um a real event. so um uh, I know what you did last summer is is quite a good example of this because it was based on the novel um by, by Lewis Duncan, I believe. And Lewis Duncan sort of derived the original novel from the death of her daughter mm. and when she realized that that story was being made into a um teen slasher film, she wasn't particularly happy in the way that it was being made into sort of um a slick um slasher entertainment f- feature film and and in this one and it's a big thing whilst watching this is that a lot of the victims aren't actually named until yeah. one scene where he just reels them off and then he's like and five others the it's definitely a slasher film i would say yeah because the victims are really just interchangeable So it's not... And if it's based on a real story of these very real gay men that were being killed and you're glossing over the victims, it's always going to cause a bit of controversy. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um, It surprised me the names that wanted to make this film uh, because, I mean, before William Friedkin
1: got his hands on it, Brian De Palma wanted to make it. Brian De Palma... And I'm not saying this is a bad film, but I think in the hands of Brian De Palma, this could have been a great film. Yeah. Of course, he went on to make Dress to Kill instead
0: because mm-hmm. he couldn't get the rights to this. But also, Steven Spielberg wanted to make it. Okay. And uh, he made Jaws instead. So I think he, he had his eyes on the novel a lot earlier because um, he chose Jaws over over this. But, wow, I mean, how
1: different could that have been? Uh, yeah, well, I suppose in 1980... Spielberg had done Jaws mm, and Jewel and Jewel in. yeah so he wasn't really known as the jack of all trades mm. that we know him as you know he, he, then he went on to do family films adventure films yeah ev- everything and did and was successful in all of it yeah Um but I suppose he was maybe kind of still known as a hor- the, the, the Jaws guy mm. at the time because Jaws was such a massive hit that um yeah I could understand why potentially he would have wanted to have done this film in in 1980 or earlier.
0: Yeah. Uh, It was banned in Finland, Iran and South Africa and I believe still is to this day. Yeah. Uh, During the murder scene at St. James Hotel, uh, seven, seven subliminal frames from a hardcore gay porn film had been edited in. Okay. And if you look really carefully, so it's kind of like the whole fight club scene, um where they edit a big cock into uh, the film shown at the cinema. It's it's, it's kind of like that. If you look really carefully, you can see it. Apparently, if you slow down the DVD as well, it's more visible. Okay. Um, Why? Uh, William Friedkin, I don't okay. know. In 2013, James Franco made Interior Leather Bar, uh, which was supposedly... Now, you said this is uh, different to how it sounds, but apparently it's 40 Lost Minutes of Cruising remade.
1: I've seen reviews and apparently it's an hour-long film about them, two characters trying to make a remake of these 40 minutes rather than James Franco and, and, and whoever making these 40 minutes and releasing mm. them. It's a story of them trying to make these 40 minutes and releasing it. I can
0: imagine that being twice as problematic as this, considering those 40 minutes were meant to be basically just gay sex.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I I think a lot of it is them discussing the implications of recreating these 40 minutes Mm. and what these 40 minutes mean. Um, I haven't seen it. I don't think it's been massively well received. No. Um, I I think it's a a case of, what's the point? Why are you doing this? Yeah. You know, and, and also, you know, whose voice are, are you giving about these scenes? Mm. You know, because I, I think if those scenes had stayed in, those 40 minutes of a much more explicit sex, then even more so I would question who the hell cruising was for. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Who who have we made this film for? We made money, so there was an audience there. Um, But uh, I I don't know. Who is this aimed at? Mm.
0: Uh, William Friedkin's still upset about Al Pacino getting the role to this day. Really? He's never worked with an actor as unprepared as Al Pacino. Oh, wow. And he really wishes Richard Gere got the role.
1: I think Richard Gere would have worked a lot better. Mm. Um, There are several reasons that I think we'll cover... Uh, As to why I didn't think Al Pacino was the best um, actor for the role. Because
0: he was nearly 40 and playing a (laughs)
1: 20-year-old. Yeah, wasn't he meant to be 29? He's in his 20s. And and also, I don't see... Correct me if I'm wrong, um, if you have a different opinion, but I don't think this role was for um, somebody who isn't conventionally handsome. I think someone like Richard Gere. That the whole idea is that Al Pacino can walk into a bar and have at least twenty guys <laughs> iron him up and that he can pull at the drop of a hat. And I don't think that's believable. No. I think someone like Richard Gere could have would have been able to do that because he was a sex symbol. Yeah. You know, I don't think Al Pacino's ever been seen really as a sex symbol. If he was, it was probably about best part of ten years before this film came out, you know? Yeah. Um, This was released one
0: month after Windows, uh, a film that's been called homophobic by many of the LGBT community. Um, Again, very problematic. And and a film that had protests against it. Now, did you
1: get some
0: other films written down that was released around this time?
1: Um, Yeah, I got a few. Um just say like dress to kill there was a lot of issues with the depiction of spoiler alert for dress to kill um, the Michael Caine transvestite killer mm-hmm. um, the fan as well which, we, which we covered you know go back and listen to our um, podcast on that because there's a lot of themes come up within these thrillers that came out in 1980 1981 that involved LGBT characters. Mm. Um, A lot of them as the villain, as the bad guy. Mm. But how strange, though, because this was just before the AIDS pandemic. Yeah, I I think it was starting to bubble up. Um, I think particularly in this film, the whole idea of sex and death Mm. going together, particularly in the um, gay scene, a gay male scene, um, is... Slightly ahead of its time, to be fair. Um, A lot of these thrillers uh, uh, were, I would say, highly influenced by Hitchcock. Mm. And as as we've done our research, Hitchcock has a um, strange history of LGBT representation in his films. Yeah, He has a lot of villains who can be seen as, you know, lesbian or gay. Mm. Um, you look at a film like Rebecca, Mrs. Danvers, mm. you know. It it doesn't expressly say it because of the time that the films came out, but Mrs. Danvers was absolutely a lesbian character. Yeah. Um, you've got the two killers in Rope, who are definitely a gay couple, mm. killing for kicks, just for the fun of it. Um, Strangers on a Train. Um, the, one of the killers in that or or the killer in that excuse me could be seen as a gay man Mm. um so i think brian de palma massively was influenced by hitchcock um i think a lot of filmmakers um particularly in the 70s and 80s was influenced by hitchcock and uh, i think that kind of representation can be seen in those sort of films and the influence from Hitchcock.
0: Yeah, definitely. So, plot for this film is a police detective goes undercover in the underground SNM gay subculture of New York City to catch a serial killer who is preying on gay men. And we open with some black and white shots. The film was actually originally meant to be in black and white, um, but then just wasn't.
1: I don't think it would have worked in black and white. No. Black that, and white would have been weird. We get
0: the opening titles and a
1: fisherman finds an arm in the water. Um a Fisherman with a meaty mustache. He does, of you know course. we love a meaty yeah, mustache he on has this a podcast. St- there's a and few there, in this there's film. There's a lot in this film. Yeah. It's it's definitely the YMCA kind of um, look at gay men. Isn't yeah. It? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, you
0: can tell this is the same year as uh, Can't Stop the Music. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: so yeah, we, we get um, like a, a sort of autopsy on this arm, um, an investigation into it. We find out that other body parts have been found recently um, for, for victims around New York City.
1: Yeah, the coroner suggests that it's just a body count, that it, that's all it is to the police. Yeah. So the idea is that the police aren't investigating them as well as they should be investigating them.
0: Yeah, and then, and then we're, two, we're shown two arsehole cops... Um, One's moaning about his wife, Others says about how all women are the same. Yes. They're all
1: scumbags. So one of the police officers is played by Joe Spinell from uh, uh, Maniac. I think Maniac was the same year. I think so. Um, So, yeah, a well-known sort of horror cinema face. Um, He's the one who hates his ex-wife. And they're... uh, Um... Yeah, just hating on women, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> just sat in the police car, hating on women. And then they see some drag queens, and uh, they uh, they ask
0: her, hey, girls, you're working? And it's like, why are you buying? And uh, they just suddenly go really violent and threaten to break uh, their faces.
1: Yeah, so um, they say, oh, look at these guys at the level bar. Um, and they, they say, oh, Christ, what's happening to the world? Going past these leather-clad gay men outside the bar, and then they come across... I would say they're transvestites. Yeah, I suppose. Um, so they're dressed uh, in leather, mm-hmm. big leather boots, um, looking a lot like uh, Ilsa. Um, you know, the uh, SS mm-hmm. films uh, with Ilsa. And, uh, yeah, they, they pretty much target them. Um, they're quite sexually aggressive to them. um yeah. Uh, in the car. put in the car. Yeah, they they come they come across as two uh, closet cases. Yeah, and that that's reiterated later in the film because mm-hmm. we see Joe Spinell again. Um. So they're definitely two, uh, closet cases, or, what I think they might be is that, um, their hatred of women, mm. um, the hatred of his ex-wife, instead of being able to take it out on his ex-wife these two transvestites, mm-hmm. you know, feminine, but also, you know, men underneath, they're easier for him to take out his frustrations on. Yeah. And uh, that's what happens. And, and one of them's basically forced to give, uh, not Joe the, Spinell, the other police officer, um, a blowy in, in mm-hmm. the police car.
0: And then uh, we see someone walk past, uh, sunglasses, big curly hair, um, interestingly enough, looks like a cappuccino with a pair of sunglasses on. Um, goes to this really seedy gay bar. You see multiple hairy ass cracks.
1: Yeah. So this this is where I think sometimes the film's quite exploitative. So you've got all these guys jam packed. It's in this basement bar. Uh, looking very seedy. Looking very sweaty. Um, last week we did Odorama drama. Mm, Four roses. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for uh, polyester. I'm glad there's no odorama for this film because it a lot of it looks so sweaty. <laughs> um, but uh, the camera pans uh, firstly at the uh, waist level. Mm-hmm. So all you see are these asses in very tight either leather or denim trousers, uh, jeans, and... Um, an array of hairy asses in straps.
0: I mean, this is first of all, this is very unrealistic because I mean, as much as this doesn't happen in the gay bars in the UK, I know full well that if a bunch of gay guys were going to get their asses
1: out in a gay bar. They would have shaved those ass cracks. This is nineteen eighty, though. Everyone was free <coughs> hairiness in the seventies uh, <laughs> and eighties. <80s>. Ew. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, we've seen plenty of films. Um being horror fans, you end up seeing a lot of uh uh female nudity in films, don't we? Yeah. And uh <laughs> can't believe I'm about to say this. Uh but there's full bushes throughout, isn't there? True,
0: true. But I never expect to see a full bush on an ass in a film. <laughs>
1: but do you see what i mean by yeah
0: especially it, this is coming off the 70s as it's well. almost
1: comical really yeah um to, to pan across all these asses and then you're surprised by a jock strap <laughs> um again who is this for are, are you trying to titillate the audience or is it meant to be comedic or is it meant to be sleazy is it meant mm. to look sleazy you know, all these asses hanging out. What are you going for in this? That's yeah. what I didn't quite understand. Um,
0: so this guy with the sunglasses is uh, is chatted up by a guy who apparently has ego problems. Um, he's he's telling he's got very low self-esteem and such.
1: Yeah, he says, oh, I have a, a inherent need to be worshipped. Yeah. So very weird... Um, Flirting. Well, apparently to this, apparently to this film, every single gay guy is into lever and S and, and uh, has
0: their hairy arse cracks out and wants to fuck someone. But
1: that's the thing, and you, we have scenes like this throughout the film, time and time, <laughs> yeah. and, time and time and time again. The only real representation of gay culture is these lever bars with guys just looking to get some arse is hanging out, you know. Um, it's the only representation. Yeah. We have a very, very minute, um, over-representation of, of, of gay life and gay culture, which we'll get onto when a new character's introduced. But that's not fully fledged. No. The constant images we get in this film are of these CD bars, these late night hookups in parks. Mm-hmm. Um... Which lead to violence, really.
0: I mean, obviously, you know, we weren't around in 1980. We, we've never been to New York, let alone New York in
1: 1980. Um, uh, I, I don't think it would have been like this. Well, I, I mean, think that's the... Um, ten years earlier, um, I there, there was always places like this. Yeah, but not to this level, to where every fucking gay guy... But is, but that's and that's the issue with the mm. film, and that's where a lot of the controversy came in, a lot of the criticism came in, is that you're representat- representing a whole culture here yeah. in. Really, this was kind of a mainstream film. Al Pacino, William Frequent. This is a, a you know eleven million dollars was a big budget back in nineteen eighty. So you're you've got this big deal of a film, you know. And this is it. This is the gay thriller, the gay slasher film, gay horror film of our time. And what you're representing for a whole culture is the fact that they like to get their asses out in bars mm. and hook up with complete randomers, uh, you know, on every single night of the week because we don't see anything else in yeah. this film. And th- this is where I think the controversy comes from. Mm. Because 10 years earlier, you had William Friedkin do The Boys in the Band, mm. which has its controversies. Um, th- there's there's many levels of sort of the self-hating gay, which we saw in the fan. Yeah. Um, but that was a positive spin on it. Mm. You know, they, they were fully-fledged characters fully fledged human beings leading fully fledged lives whereas in this the the victims aren't real people no they aren't real people because they don't get names and all they want is a quick hookup the most we get is this dude at the bar saying that he's got ego problems and he has an inherent need to be worshiped mm. and that's it
0: yeah yeah, pretty much. And in this next scene, um, where they go to the St. James Hotel, um, the ego problems guy opens his briefcase and it's just a fucking, like, fucking six foot dildo in there and all, like, leather, like, restraints and shit and, and some poppers that he starts sniffing.
1: It's like... Which if that's what you're into There are people like that yeah. And that's what they're into Which is fine But does everybody carry a fucking Gigantic dildo <laughs> around in a briefcase Well that's where he lives though isn't it I I got a little confused Because they went to a hotel But it looked like he lived there So I think yeah. he just lived in a hotel Well
0: um, So he starts doing some poppers He starts making out with uh, the sunglasses guy And goes down on him uh, Next minute it's implied they've had sex Yeah there's loads of wrestling magazines
1: on the floor yeah. as well
0: yeah, he's got loads of wrestling magazines there. They've um, they've had sex, and uh, you can tell this uh, ego guy's on edge a bit, and uh, rightly so, because Singlass' guy pulls out a knife from a drawer and uh, tells him to turn over, ties him up, and murders him. And this is when you get to see the uh, little subliminal shots of uh, anal sex. Yeah, yeah. It's quite a sad scene,
1: really. Yeah, and, and, and I... And I I, I, again, d- just to reiterate what I said, this is probably the most development we get of any yeah. of the victims because he said, you know, are you afraid? And he said, should I be afraid? Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the the killer suggests that, you know, he's tied up and he could be robbed. Yeah. And uh, the victim is... He says, well, I haven't got anything to take. It's mm. quite a sad story, yeah. really. Yeah. Um, but the scene's over, begins and ends so quick yeah. that, you know, um, you really get to know know mm. him. Um, but it, th- that could be quite a sad yeah. story, you know, someone who's maybe been pushed to the outskirts. Yeah. This is the one that ended up being the professor at Columbia, though, wasn't it? I think so, yeah. But he, he I mean, this guy really put in a, uh, you know, he
0: put in a really good performance. And it's just a shame that it is just another victim. Yeah. You know? And this scene was actually um, Sort of replicated In uh, Knife and Heart Yes Yeah Yeah. yeah. I thought it was worth mentioning Because I mean Knife and Heart Took in influences from So much Yeah
1: and Knife and Heart Was a French film 2017 Yeah I, I think th- so I believe so
0: Was it last year May have been last year actually, or the year before. Either way, it's recent. It's a modern film. Yeah,
1: and it it's it's essentially a gay slasher film based around the, uh, gay porn scene. Yeah. Of and we
0: get you know in that film we get leather and S and M you know that side of things, but they show you that's not all there is in the gay community. Exactly. You know, it covers that side of things, but it covers every corner it's of the bit, community. It's so
1: much broader in its representation that it it works a lot better. Yeah. It doesn't feel like exploitation.
0: Yeah, which is why I, I think I really appreciate the fact that it took one of the most effective scenes from this film and put it in that film. Mm. That's much better made and a much better film all around um but as we end this scene the killer tells uh, the guy who's just killed that you made me do this yeah a, a phrase he uses quite a lot when he kills people in this film yeah it,
1: it, 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 he sings a little song as well doesn't yeah he, really? um i'm here yeah Here, something like that i just it, this you made wrong. me do this thing i mean
0: it's never really fleshed out as to what he means by that um, we
1: could see it in, like, we see the fan. Or, uh, or even Dressed to Kill. Yeah, the self-hating gay. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I, I that's how I saw it, mm. is, um, the, the self-hating gay guy who, when he has sex or gets turned on, um, leads to murder. Yeah. And what's frustrating is, I don't
0: think William Friedkin even knew what he meant by this because... Uh, the ending of this film, as an audience, it, it looks like it's pointing towards one certain direction, which we'll get to when we get to it. But even William Freakin has said, um, yeah, it just told him to do that. Yeah. He doesn't know why.
1: No. Um, but that could be, and, and that's the issues that come up when a straight guy makes a film about gay men, which which, which has been done to great effect, yeah. you, you know, um, after... But, um, it's kind of looking at one aspect and, you know, like head- headlines, just looking at it in, mm. in one sense. Um, if you understand what I mean by yeah, yeah, that, yeah. um, just one vision. Yeah. And whereas, you know, he was say, like, oh, that would sound really good. Well... What could that mean? Us sitting here as two gay guys, mm. we've read into that something else. Yeah. Uh that William Friedkin wouldn't have thought of because he's not a gay guy. Mm-hmm. You know.
0: Yeah. Um. So the autopsy, uh, for the victim, finds that the killer is shooting blanks.
1: Yeah. So again, it, uh, this film. And uh, ju- just, to, just to say, I actually really enjoyed watching this film. It's a, a it's a fun film it's, to watch. Yeah, it's, it's not a bad film, it's we don't a, hate it. It's such a product of its time that, you know, we're giving it the critical eye now mm. from 2020 sensibilities. You know, it's been 40 years now. And we look at it in terms of why people would have been upset at the time. Yeah. And, and in terms of gay history mm. and gay history on film, um... But just to sit there and to watch it, it's actually quite yeah. enjoyable. I mean, you look at these films like as sli- a slash film. You look at like
0: Sleepaway Camp, Dress to Kill, um, the fan. They've all got these problems in them, but they're still enjoyable films. Yeah. You can still you can still watch them and enjoy them. We wouldn't be, you know, throwing these in with council culture. Like, oh, don't ever watch these films because of this and that. Yeah, they're problematic, but there's still enjoyable films there. And you know, yeah. why waste these enjoyable films because of a few problems? I'm sure there's plenty of uh, other films of other problems that, you know, is easy to throw away, but... But that's because we're looking at it from a modern... 2020. Yeah. And, and even for its time, at a time when, you know, obviously gay representation should have been so much better, it is a problem that it added towards that. It really is. Yeah. You know, when someone like William Friedkin is given this film, he's got this film, he's got $11 million, he's got a chance to make something that could have easily turned things around. It could have proved these protesters wrong it could have had something that genuinely said something about the dangers in the gay community around that time it could have had positive representation he chose to put everyone in the same box that was his decision that's this is his problem
1: yeah but you know that is that is a problem but it is still an enjoyable film yeah and that was the issue we here in 2020 watch this and we know that you know we, we know that, and we know that that mm. representation is not true. In 1980, again, like I've said, you know, to uh, the wide audience that seemingly went to watch mm. this because yeah, it yeah. made money, that's how they're going to look at it. Yeah. Because nothing else is showing them anything different. It's not, because there weren't other real gay films at the time that mm. had real positive representation that play to a wide audience. There were a few, few and far between, you know, um, but, and genre fans as well, like horror film fans, they had nothing else to compare this no. to. Any horror film fan in 1980 that wanted to watch um, a, a slasher film, mm. oh, fuck me, a slasher film starring Al Pacino, I'm there, let's watch yeah. it. They're going to think that's gay culture. Yeah, we know different now, Mm. so we can watch this, take everything with a pinch of salt, you know, and we can sit here and discuss this. But in nineteen eighty, they'd sit there and think, "Oh shit, is that what goes on?" Yeah, and I'd
0: like to think that you know a modern audience would be able to watch this and realize what's wrong with it. Yeah, Uh, you know, enjoy it, but still realize what is wrong with it. I mean, especially with someone like Arrow Video distributing this, like I mean, that's a big. Everyone knows who Arrow is now, you know they put out these court films and everything. There's a big responsibility on them. They're putting out this film that was, you know, protested in the 80s and everything. Very problematic. But I'd hope people can watch this in a modern sensibility and know that it's not the case, that not everyone's the same. Yeah.
1: I've never really been into censorship. I I, I don't believe that art should be censored unless it's um, deliberately violent. You know, so... we've watched a few films that's had um animal cruelty involved Mm. well i I, I don't want to watch that you you know um i know it happened i know it did but it it doesn't add to the film no um i don't i don't believe in sense i would never tell anyone oh don't watch cruising because Mm. it's you know now here now i wouldn't tell people not to watch it and there's plenty of films um the big controversy recently was we've gone with the wind yeah um because gone with the wind was pro slavery mm. y- you know it was a film it was released in 1939 um, and it was pro slavery it it looked at the south um at, during the the civil war with you know a big Thumbs up. <laughs> yeah. And at, at the, um, to a certain degree um, was uh, pro uh, the KKK. Um, we can sit here now and watch Gone with the Wind and we're like, oh my God, that's awful. Mm. That doesn't stop Gone with the Wind from being a, a masterpiece, a cinematic masterpiece. Mm. It's incredibly well acted, incredibly well made, um, but it's problematic. I would never tell anyone not to watch it. Because we have to watch these things because we learn from these things and we understand what was going on at the time and the sensibilities at the time. And we can sit here and understand now and how far we've come, Mm. but also how far we probably need to go from watching these films. And the fact that it was taken off of HBO, um, I think was wrong. I'm sorry, I'm going on a massive tangent now, uh, but I think it relates to cruising. I think stuff like that is is wrong. Put a little disclaimer. And just explain yeah. at the beginning what's represented in this film, mm. you know? Also, if you hear any weird noises, there's a lot of little shits running outside by <laughs> our fucking <laughs> flat making noises
0: and being arseholes. <laughs> like, we're living next to a fucking car park on a road. Why are, the, why are the fucking kids playing around here? Just go <laughs> Go to a fucking park down the road, for fuck's sake. But anyway, just in case you hear that, you know, that's that's all it is. Okay. There's it's not people actually being murdered in our area. It's just kids. Carry on.
1: Well, let's get back to the, to the film in question. Um, so the victim's body's been looked at. Yeah. And straight away, oh, the anus is dilated. Yeah. The, the sperm, you know, and sh- straight away it's into this, <laughs> the idea of anal sex. Yeah. Which the film brings up time and time. It, it's all about the sex and the violence, this film. And it's about nothing else. And I, I think it's just perfectly iterated in this scene because straight away we're like, the anus is dilated. Mm. They're sperm. And the killer's firing blanks. So he's either had a vasectomy or what I think they're trying to get at is that he's got an STI that has left him infertile. That's yeah. what I believe uh, they're trying to get at because he's promiscuous and yeah. he's probably riddled.
0: And the, the stab wounds uh, match the other killings, so they notice it's the same guy. Uh, the transvestite from earlier on in the film helps with the investigation and uh, reports the police officers that was a little uh, that were all pushy with her and a friend. Yeah. Um, the police captain couldn't really give a shit about it, let's well, face it. The
1: suggestion as well is that the transvestite is a prostitute. Yeah. So not only are you a transvestite, but you're also uh, a prostitute. What the fuck would I believe what you mm. have to say? Get out of my office.
0: Uh, the police captain calls Steve to his office. And Steve is obviously Al Pacino. Um, he's asked if he's ever had sex with a man. Uh, yeah, like uses, straight away. It's like his first question he asks him. Like straight away. He's like, yeah, he's like ever had your cock sucked by a man? Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, he tells Steve all about the murders. And he wants him to go undercover in the s scene. And Steve loves the idea
1: yeah yeah really excited about it the suggestion is that um, Steve is just a, a patrol man cop just going about the streets and he wants something a little more mm-hmm. so this has come along this assignment to go undercover all the victims look like Steve <laughs> so does the killer yeah but quite you know Italian American looking mm. dark-haired, um a a sizeable physique, you know, um and late <clears> twenties. <throat> Alpuccino's certainly not in his yeah, late twenties. Yeah. But sometimes I get mixed up um whilst watching this film and I think uh, well that guy looks like that guy, that guy looks like that guy. Mm. So the the whole idea is that there's definitely an MO and the victims are all very similar and Steve Albertino fits that. And, and also the killer kind of looks like that as yes, well, yeah. which leads to a, a bit of confusion. Um, so it suggested that um, what's happening is not in the mainstream of gay life. Um, the victims were into heavy leather. So again, I think a sentence like this sort of reiterates what I've been saying yeah. is that the filmmakers know there's a mainstream of mm-hmm. gay life you know, there, there's the, the, the gay life that, you know, that we saw at the time, you know, and, and on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think of Paul Lind. I <laughs> don't yeah. know what, and it's a slightly after Paul Lind, but I just think of him as sort of that American gay caricature. Um, but these were into heavy leather, the seedy side. But then, the film only shows this side. It's true.
0: In the next scene, we see Steve in bed with his girlfriend, Nancy. And uh, she's asking what this uh, new job of his is, but he's refusing to tell her. So he can't tell her about it. And he tells her there's a lot about him she doesn't know. Ooh. He moves into his new apartment, and he has a neighbour, Ted Bailey. Now, Ted Bailey... ...is the only decent representation of a gay guy in this film.
1: Yeah, so, so, Ted Bailey... But the only, the
0: only realistic...
1: Yeah. ...should I say. So, um, he's it, a... Well, he's not, I wouldn't say he's a stereotype himself... ...but he's, he's, um, artistic. Yeah. Um, so, he's into... a uh, wait, he's a wannabe playwright. He wants to write a light comedy... Where boy meets boy. Mm. So, this is kind of that mainstream look at uh, gay life where they're artistic, but they're struggling artists.
0: It's great though, it's great that they've got this this, uh, representation in the film. But that's the problem, you're not going to watch this film and walk away from it remembering Ted, the normal gay guy. You're going to walk away from it remembering every other fucker that's there like Well, you are, that's
1: not what the film's about. And spoiler alert, Ted ends up dead in the end anyway. Um um they go for a coffee together. Uh, Steve's uh, just
0: uh, he's in disguise now as John. Uh, he's just quit school. Yes. Looks like he's just quit school, doesn't it? Yes. Um so uh, <laughs> he's just quit school, He's looking for a job. Uh Ted talks a little bit about the killings going on.
1: Yeah. So so Ted um says that he's scared to death of the cruising himself. So he kind of knows what's involved in the cruising. Yeah. And um, he's always sort of been wary of it and never took part in it. See, he's the character that's separate to this life. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he's not used enough in the film. Let's be honest. He's just not used enough in the film. No. Um, Steve,
0: what you're going to see for uh, a lot of this film, if you decide to check it out, is... Steve walks into a gay bar. <laughs> <laughs> this must happen about 20 times. He, he walks into a gay bar, stands around for a bit, he leaves, goes and inquires about some handkerchiefs. What are
1: these uh, handkerchiefs? So the han- the handkerchiefs are coloured and he asks the, the, the guy in the store what they mean. Uh, I'm not going to reel off the list, uh, but certain colours mean certain things and if you put it in your i think left pocket you're you're willing to give if you could put it in your right you're willing to receive and it's stuff like golden showers (laughs) um if you're a hustler which i assume means prostitute um maybe um if you want to give a blowy if you want to get a blowy um so it's all sex related yeah really and um a lot of this is about... the. Oh, my God, these fucking kids outside. <laughs> um, we really apologise if you could hear this. About the fact that gay men are completely obsessed with sex and that drives all of their decision-makings. Um, and even if they are bad decisions, because they're aware of these cruising murders that have been going on. You know, Ted speaks about mm. it. Uh, he says it's... Uh, gossip throughout the whole gay scene, uh, yet they're still putting themselves in these positions. Yeah. Because all they care about is sex, mm-hmm. and uh, even when Steve moves into his apartment, yeah. there's a massive stack of gay porn magazines left in there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and and that I think is is iffy representation.
0: Yeah. So Steve decides he's not looking good enough, <clears throat> so he goes back to his apartment, puts some mascara on goes back out and now he's wearing a
1: yellow handkerchief. So he wants uh, a golden shower. Apparently. So I don't understand this part of it because he's got this yellow handkerchief on. He's in the club. A guy comes up to him and he says, oh, so you know, when do you want your golden shower? And he's (laughs) like, no, I'm just into watching. And he gets told off for advertising something that he's not going to that he's not going to actually follow through with. So, I don't know if this is our first sort of inkling that Steve isn't the person we thought he was. Mm. And that maybe he's deep down quite enjoying all of this, but he's not. Yeah, it's it on. weird.
0: It, it, it is weird that he never actually, uh, you know, he's never been on the cover and believable yet. He goes out wearing his golden shower handkerchief, but doesn't follow through with what it's there for.
1: Yeah, so maybe he was intrigued by mm. the idea of a golden shower. Um, but when the opportunity reared its head that he didn't want to take part, he chickened out. So I think the whole film is about Steve being a repressed homosexual.
0: Uh, There's probably the most we've ever spoke about, a golden shower on the podcast. (laughs) Probably most we ever will speak Mm -hmm. about one. So uh, he gets fat up in the gay bar by uh, someone else. He just leaves. uh, Picks up a guy outside... And that doesn't really go anywhere either. Uh, again, it's just more of this, you know, Steve hanging around gay bars, hanging around the parks in, in New York. It happens so much. Yeah. Um, but sometimes it feels like they've just, you know, used the same footage. Yeah. Um, but he meets up with the captain the next day and gives him an update. Uh, and then we see the killer who picks up uh, a guy and takes him to the park. He disappears, sings a little nursery rhyme, and then
1: stabs him. Yes, he does. So, during this time where he's in and out of gay bars, really, we do see um, a very wet man in a bathtub. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming he's very wet because he's been pissed on, Um, which is a bit grim for me. (laughs) That's a bit... I don't know, you keep bringing up the golden showers. apparently so. (laughs) But, yes, so uh, our killer pulls again, doesn't he? Yeah. Um... So they've gone into the bushes. there's other couple shagging in the bushes that we see sort of their faces, yeah, and uh yeah he's he's ended up stabbed this this nameless victim, nameless victim, and yeah. then
0: we cut straight to Steve having sex with nancy
1: yeah so this this uh, so we we' got a little bit of actual intercourse in the, i in i the take bushes. these I take these scenes
0: um where Steve's having like really furious sex with Nancy it after he's been around the gay people for so long i, I kind of take these scenes as him trying to convince himself that he's not gay yeah that's what that, it comes across as why to me
1: maybe overly aggressive yeah with the, the intercourse so and and if we'd seen more of these scenes mm, with nancy we could have gotten a little more of this side yeah. of story he goes for a drink
0: with ted they have another chat and then this might surprise you, but he goes to a gay bar. It does. What <laughs> night is it, Gary? Uh, this is when the hairy ginger guy asks him to leave because he has the wrong attitude.
1: Well, no, it's precinct night. Is it? So everyone's dressed up as police officers. Oh, okay. And he's not dressed up as a police officer. Oh no! Okay. Uh, so I think he has the wrong attitude. He's got the wrong attitude. So I think maybe they they've sort of caught on to the fact that he's going and having a sniff around, but yeah. not really doing anything about it. Uh, a guy follows him out of there and ta- offers to take him for a walk and Steve
0: declines and goes home to Nancy to get some of that Nancy... Uh... I was about to say something really disgusting. <laughs> he goes say? to get some of that bomb pussy. He doesn't uh, oh, wow. He doesn't
1: want any of the dick. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and, and every time that we, we go to these uh, gay bars, these leather S&M bars, we see an array of... Um, sexual acts going on in, in the sense yeah, of, so like uh, whipping, mm. uh, nipple pinching. Uh, I, I don't want to have to bring it up every time, but just to reiterate that we, we well, do we've got see a very specific a one wet man in a bath. There is a very specific one coming up, <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, so Steve's followed by an admirer as he leaves. Uh, the admirer says, That bulge in your pants ain't a knife, <laughs> why don't we take a walk? So, again, this community is knowledgeable about these deaths that are going on they know what's happening what's
0: annoying is what's annoying is what's really frustrating about this scene is this guy that followed steve out could have actually been the killer and that could have been steve's chance to catch him there that that's his job he's got to go along with these things but instead he just goes home and fucks nancy sent less but then yeah
1: so but the the idea is that how far would he go Mm. to get the killer you know um if if he is repressed if he is uh, a homosexual leading a lie uh because he he was quite up for taking the 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 job yeah the undercover job um is he sort of um struggling i think the whole idea is that he's struggling with this attraction to these men um so every time that potentially he could be attracted to these men he goes and gives Nancy a good shag yeah um, so that's what I'm getting throughout this whole film. So it's why he sort of, uh, experimented with the, the, uh, handkerchief in the pocket. Mm. Um, it's why he keeps on going back to these bars, but not going all the way. Yeah. Um, essentially to catch the killer, potentially he will have to pull and go somewhere to have, you know, intercourse with someone, which, which kind of happens. He never goes all the way... No. Um ...within the film. That's what I'm getting from all this. Um, so, in the next scene, we get... Is this the cop from the start of the film
0: that goes to the bar and watches a porn?
1: No. No. No.
0: So, so this is ch- just a random bearded guy. Yeah.
1: So, again, we're introduced to this character. He's a fashion designer, yeah. I, I felt. You kind of feel like there's going to be more to his story, uh, but there's not. There's no. not. He, he just
0: goes to a gay bar, surprisingly um and it's like yeah yeah yeah. um obviously everyone's still in leather and everything um he goes to this room and and what are they called are they peep shows yeah it's like a viewing
1: room uh for uh, hardcore shorts yeah so
0: he puts some money in turns his pawn on and uh on the left of him is another guy in there already and uh starts feeling up his hand and such
1: Goes down on him and
0: gets killed because it's the killer.
1: Yes. So, again, it's this idea of sex and death or violence uh, within the gay community being linked. So, every every time uh, the killer kills, it's during a sex act or just after a sex act. It's because he's pulled someone and they're in the bushes... Or he's, you know, getting a blowy in the sex shop. You know, this sex shop, of course someone's going to die in the sex shop. Yeah. Because it's the film Cruising and that's clearly what all the gay is about. This, this fashion designer, he's talking as if he's got somewhere to go or somewhere to be, but he stops off at the sex shop because he's clearly obsessed with getting it on with someone. Yeah. That he's, you know, uh, his duties are going to the side. So, in the next scene, Steve goes to a gay bar. <laughs> he does. <laughs> Surprise. Is it the same gay bar every time? I'm N- No, I think... Is it not? I get confused. I think there's, probably, I think there's two of them. Um, cause they, it was
0: shot in two of them. They are they're actually meant to be separate ones or disguised as the same one. I don't know. But just before
1: this, he's at home and... Oh, yeah, this story has, like, a moment. Yeah, he does, because he's actually dressed very similar to the actual killer. mm Um, and he does, so there are pieces of the killer's, what we've seen the killer in, uh, like a denim shirt open, Mm. leather, um, a, I don't know how to describe that hat. It's a particular kind of hat, leather hat. Yeah. Um, and sunglasses. And he's wearing all those items and he hears Ted arguing with someone, his Mm. roommate slash boyfriend, um... So I think that's our first inkling to what the um, ending sort of suggests. Yeah.
0: So um, so you go to this gay bar, and uh, would you like to describe the next scene involving two guys with meat and mustaches? Yes.
1: So we get a, a sort of black and white flashing American flag as the backdrop, yeah. don't we? In this scene, um, so this is America. And uh, a dude's hung up in chains, and we get a close-up of a man lubing up his <laughs> hand and arm, uh, just to the elbow, isn't it? Yeah. And the dude gets fisted. I mean, you know, fair play for having the balls to include a fist in scene <laughs> in a mainstream film. What shocked me the most <laughs> is that it took me a while to realise that the hand was up there. Because obviously we don't get a close-up, we don't see it. We see the hand being lubed, and we see the reaction. The hand goes somewhere, <laughs> yeah, and we see the reaction. Yeah. Now, the reaction wasn't as strong as I thought it maybe could have been. Um, I don't think there's any tread left on that tyre. No, no, um, no. It went up quite easy. It went up quite easy uh, with not a single grimace from the recipient. And that is our review on Fisting. And that is that is that. Um...
0: So, this other guy asked Steve to dance. Yeah. And uh, we get to see some amazing dancing from Al Pacino. Oh, it's... Oh, very
1: weird dancing.
0: <laughs> Almost as good as Jamie Lee Curtis' dance from a prom night.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know how I said Jamie Lee's was more uh, fluid than um, Crispin Glover in Friday the 13th <laughs> Part 4? Well, this is basically Crispin Glover in Friday the 13th yeah. Part 4. <laughs> Pretty much.
0: He in a, a tank sniff, uh, He has a sniff for some poppers. And he's proper going for it to a song, uh, I assumed, called Heat of the Moment. And uh, they're, they're really, really going for it. Uh,
1: and then, uh, He's living his best life. So yeah. He's let himself go a little bit. He's finally gotten involved in something mm. um, within the gay bar. So it's about time. That he got involved. And this is where (laughs) he looks 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 the most ridiculous. He also looks the most happy. Yeah. You know? Um, So I think, again, you know, he's like his repressed homosexuality show. He gets some information
0: about a guy called Skip and he uh, informs a, uh, a cop who's waiting outside the gay bar. He informs him about it.
1: Yeah, so Skip was the guy that followed him previously that suggested it wasn't a knife in his. Mm-hmm. Uh, pocket uh, or whatever um, so he'd asked a few questions on him because he'd been chucked out of the bar previously for being quite aggressive so this was kind of his number one suspect, this skip guy.
0: Yeah so um, after this the, the same cop that he tells about this he investigates with the transvestite site next day about this skip, gets some more information um, they figure out what type of knife was being used for the killings And uh, Steve takes Skip to uh, a motel or a hotel. Was it the same? Was it the same hotel? I think it was a motel. Um, I don't
1: don't know. He takes him there. They're both seedy looking. Yeah.
0: He has a a microphone on. The microphone messes up, and uh, the police take this as an indication that they need to break the door down and arrest him.
1: Yeah, because Steve asks Skip to tie him up. Yeah. Um, So and when they enter. Steve is tied up naked um, with uh, his arms and his hands behind his back. It's mm-hmm. so very similar to the first murder that we saw in the film.
0: Yeah, so they, they uh, arrest them both, obviously making out like Steve's a normal guy. Um, they take onto the police station, and in one of the strangest films in the scene... In, in, scenes strangest, in the... <laughs> strangest scenes in the film. Um, a African-American six-foot, uh, a, a presumably gay guy, comes in with a strap juxtap- who is an actual cop in real life, by the way. He comes in, slaps Al
1: Pacino and leaves the room. Yeah, this is so weird. Because <laughs> it starts with um, a, a gay slur from the cops. Yeah, of course. So um, the idea is that during this interrogation, the cops take it too far. Yeah. And this is meant to showcase uh, an inherent homophobia from the police. Mm-hmm um because because they know Steve isn't a gay guy yeah um they they allow him to leave the room and they they're quite harsh on Skip but it does start with this huge african american guy in a dark strap slapping Al Pacino across the yeah. face then Al Pacino leaves he goes back in and really gives Skip a good slap in mm. until his face is bleeding yeah um they Tow skip to drop his trousers, mm-hmm. and they're gonna do the floating balls test. Yeah. Um, in water. But I think
0: before they could do any of this, they realise that his fingerprints don't match, and they let him go. Yeah.
1: Um, so, I don't know what the floating balls test. No. Is, is no. it the suggestion that if he'd had sperm, then his balls would? Float? Uh, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. So Steve goes home to Nancy... It's such a weird scene. It is, it is. It's it such is. a weird scene. It, it, it kind of takes you out of the film because it's like, none of this is making any sense. No. After this, Steve goes home to Nancy and Nancy wants to know why he doesn't want her anymore.
0: And that's a little out of place as well because, I mean, obviously, with most of her scenes being cut, we don't know why he doesn't want her anymore. We didn't know there's any sort of tension between the two of them. It's just really out of nowhere.
1: Yeah, so she says, Is it me... Are you turned off by me? Don't you want me anymore? Yeah. And we're just like, well, what? <laughs> but every, but the last few times we've seen them together, they've been shagging. Yeah. And yes, so the last time that they made love, and and um, we neglected to say this, they uh, Steve had some sort of audio flashback mm. to the gay bar scene. Yeah. Um, but that was it. Yeah. This. This is. Suggesting that they haven't done it in weeks, you know, um, but we don't know that as an audience because of the way the film's been cut, because uh, Nancy's scenes have been cut. I'm assuming that the the um, suggestion is that he isn't uh, having sex with her anymore because he's realising that he's a homosexual. Mm. But. It it's badly because the the cuts, um, it it doesn't really come across that way. Yeah, just watching the film. Steve has a go at the
0: police captain about the interrogation and said it's not all right, um, which is you know one of the very few positive messages in the film that it, you know this sort of police treatment isn't okay for them to treat gay guys like that. Yeah, which I'm sure was a you know a very. I think that was happening back then. It probably still
1: yeah. happens now. Yeah, he said I, I didn't get into this shitcon um getting this to shitcon. I don't know what shitcon is. I'm not even sure if I, <laughs> I uh, heard that correctly. He said I didn't get in this to shitcon a guy just because he's gay. But the real the real thing the
0: real scene stealer in in this scene is uh, <laughs> a guy who in the background who's running up some stairs and falls up the stairs. He, does. he and they the decided stairs. to leave it in the film for some
1: reason. <laughs> Unless that was deliberate, I don't know. <laughs> um, but essentially, Steve saying that he can't handle it anymore. He doesn't want to carry on. Um, but the uh, his boss is getting t- shit from uh, his boss and the gay community mm. because these murders are going unsolved. And the assumption is that it's because they don't care about gay people dying and all that. So he needs Steve because you know, Steve's in there and Steve's the best chance that they've got of solving the murders. I feel like Steve is suggesting he can't handle it is because he's finding out truths about himself that he doesn't want to Mm. realise. And that's why he wants to back out. So again, it's like um, the whole yellow uh, bandana or whatever it was. Um, He's intrigued, but once he's sort of realising stuff once the opportunity's there and, you know, once he realises, you know, down the line it could be him getting fisted in the middle of the club. Yeah. He backs out.
0: <laughs> After this, we're introduced to a uh, character called Stuart
1: who is uh, a suspect. It's kind of came out of nowhere. Kind of. Remember. So what Steve's given is a... um a page of the Columbia professor. So our first victim, his students, um, and he's asked to look through these photos from the yearbook and see if he recognizes anyone, mm. or which is kind of weird because there was no suggestion that they were linked. Yeah. Um, this was just a guy that was picking people up randomly and killing them. So there was no suggestion that these the 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 victims were linked to the killer, mm-hmm. which I, I that's why I found it quite weird that he would be handed this into it. Uh, he's looking at it, isn't he? Yeah. And he recognizes someone. Now I I got confused. This is where um, a lot of the people in the guys in the film looking very similar yeah. got really confusing. Apparently it's someone called Stuart, um, who we haven't seen before. No, but he's a friend of Ted's. He's working out in Ted's apartment. Um, is he a friend of Ted's, though? Because I think that was a guy that just looked like Ted. Was it? Yeah. Yeah. I think this is a completely separate guy that looked like Ted. Oh. And this Stuart, he... So Steve knows Stuart from the scene. I don't know if we've seen, we've seen Stuart before or we recognises his face. Or what not. I don't know. Um, well Steve follows him back to his apartment either way.
0: And uh, breaks in. And he finds letters to a John L Richards. Which but is. Loads of letters. To yeah. This John L Richards. Which is
1: Stuart's father. Yeah. We, we get the whole reading the letter. Yeah. So
0: Stuart, he, um, Stuart goes home. Uh, he plays his piano for a little bit. Spots Steve outside. And then realises that the letters are missing. And he has a flashback to speaking to his dad in the park. Um, his dad's saying to him that he knows what he has to do, so you're, you're kind of giving the indication that you know, shoot's a killer, his dad's been him to do it,
1: yeah. And and there's, uh, he also hears voices as well, so I think the suggestion is that he's schizophrenic, yeah. Um, yeah, so of course he's going Just to, 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 be to the add killer. to uh, more gay into <laughs> schizophrenic, of course he's a
0: murderer, exactly. So, Steve, uh Steve goes to speak to Ted, but his roommate is there, sporting a pair of green wife fronts, and he's, he's not happy that Steve's coming round. <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. First of all, why is he answering the door in just green briefs, underwear, and a tank top? Again, is this It's all gay guys do is they they walk around in their underwear and they open the door to strangers in their undies. Apparently. Um, but yeah, and then they get, so this is Ted's roommate slash boyfriend. Yeah. And he's quite jealous of Steve, which again, I just don't get with Al Pacino being 40 years old, <laughs> um, but he's really bitchy, really catty to Steve and they end up in an argument. Yeah. Um, he pulls a knife out on him. He does. So Greg, so Greg's the, the, the boyfriend, he ends up pulling a knife out on Steve <laughs> and Steve leaves. Yeah. So I'd, I'm not sure what this scene's about. No, be no. because He just goes out to the, to the park to investigate, finds Stuart there. Maybe Steve really did have feelings for Ted. Maybe. Maybe that's why he got so upset at Greg's suggestion because maybe what Greg was suggesting was true. Could be. And that's why he got aggressive because every time that Steve has an inkling of um, his homosexuality, he either aggressively shags his girlfriend... Or ends up in a fight with Greg. Mm-hmm.
0: So he goes to the park. He he finds Stuart there. They uh, they practice some social distancing on benches. <laughs> they stay. They stay very far
1: away from each other. So they do the kind of flirting that every gay man does in this film, <laughs> where they just stand or sit apart and just kind of look at each other without saying a word. Mm. Yeah. So that's how you pick people
0: up. <laughs> The, uh, he asks him for a light, he takes two puffs on a cigarette and throws it away, and uh, and then uh, he sings the nursery rhyme at him, from earlier in the film, and uh, Stuart takes him to a tunnel
1: where uh, Steve asks him, hips or lips? Uh Yeah, yeah, so it's <laughs> hips or lips. I'm not sure what hips or lips means. No. What do you think it uh, means? I'm
0: really not sure.
1: <laughs> Is we, are you going to give a blowy or are you going to get a blowy? maybe but they they ask each other so uh, some questions like how big are you uh what are you into <laughs> and stuff like that just real romantic talk before <laughs> they get down to business but the thing is they they act as if they hate each other yeah they they genuinely do like they're very aggressive towards each other um when Steve sings this, uh, nursery rhyme, so everyone in the community is aware of this mm. nursery rhyme and um, Stuart's like oh very funny um, and then they carry on oh, so this Stuart who is potentially our killer mm. um, is willing to shank somebody that he doesn't like who could be a serial killer mm-hmm. yeah, um, just because he's so desperate to get his kicks yeah apparently so
0: um steve tells him to get his trousers down and uh stuart tries stabbing him but steve stabs him first and uh then stuart's taken to hospital the next day which is really interesting because the fact that they both had knives and with the way it ends as well this is why it annoys me that william friedkin was so careless with the ending because everything points towards the twist that everyone assumes yeah um but he's taken to hospital he's told to admit that he did the killings Uh, And they'll get less years in prison, but he won't admit it. He won't admit he killed anyone. Um, Steve's welcome to the detective division. All a happy ending for Steve. And then Ted is found dead in his apartment. The roommate isn't there. He's gone missing. But then the captain asks who lives near him. And he seems surprised that Steve lived near him. He asks him to repeat the name.
1: Yeah. Um, And then... His undercover name, yeah. Yeah.
0: And then... Uh, After this, we are taken to Steve's apartment. He's shaving. Uh, He says he needs to talk to Nancy about something. She puts his police gear on, and uh, Steve gives a look at the camera while shaving. And uh, we're shown the harbour from the start of the film, and it ends. So it kind of points towards the fact that Steve is the killer.
1: Yeah, no, what Nancy puts on is the um, same... uh Items yeah, that, the that, the killer, that the killer's been wearing. Yeah. So the suggestion is that um, Stuart... So Stuart's in the in the hospital and they say, you tried to stab Steve, Steve stabbed you um, in, in de- defence. Stuart says, no, he tried to attack me first. Mm. Um, which is plausible because they yeah. both had knives. Mm. Um, so potentially Stuart... Had a knife to protect himself mm. because he was being reckless, really. Yeah. With the killings that have been going on that everyone was aware of. Mm-hmm. Um, so, potentially, it could have been Stuart who was defending himself. Mm. Then we get Ted's murder, which could have been Steve, the self-hating gay. Yeah. Um, self-hating in the closet gay, mm. who has shown to be aggressive uh, in in the past whenever he's um, sort of uh, made aware of his uh, closeted status, mm-hmm. should we say, he could have killed Ted because he was in love with Ted yeah. and he's a self-hating gay. Yeah. Um, very similar to The Fan, you know, where he... Um, you know, murders or tries to kill somebody that he loves. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that at the end, uh, we're led to believe that it is Steve that's been committing all of these murders all along. Yeah. Um, I think if it was handled better, that would have been a great twist. Yeah, it, it, it would have
0: been very unpredictable.
1: Um, because you never... So we, we see the killer throughout the film... Um, but with sunglasses Mm. and very... He looks very similar to a lot of other characters. So he does... I'm not sure if he's played by the guy who plays Stuart. I'm not sure. But he looks very similar to Stuart. It's very believable that Stuart would be the killer. And and, and everything in terms of the police investigation leads to Stuart being the killer. Mm -hmm. So we're led to believe at the end that Steve's got away with murder and that he's a self-hating gay who has killed because he's a self-hating gay. There you are. There's your controversy. There's your Mm -hmm. really iffy representation. Mm -hmm. Um, Because all we've seen is self-hating gays, murderous gays, uh, seedy gays, you know, gays who are so sex-obsessed, they're willing to put themselves in danger. And then we have the bitchy gay in greg mm-hmm. you know and then we have ted who isn't really in the film that much and ends up a victim yeah he's our, really our only real positive representation mm-hmm. um and he ends up dead and he gets about what 10 15 minutes of screen time yeah uh, if that um so i can see the controversy particularly with that ending as well
0: yeah, and it just pisses me off that the opportunity was there for it to be a really clever ending, and, you know, so many people will assume that that's the case, but then, you know, William Friedkin's gone down saying, oh, I don't know, I just told him to do it, just added it in. Yeah. That's so... I don't know, it's just really careless. It is. You know, I mean, yeah, sure enough, people who don't know that will assume that that's the case, and that will assume that's a twist. Great. But the fact that it wasn't intended to be that, it's just like, well, why put it in there, then? Yeah, it... it the
1: pro- a good twist makes you reassess what you've watched yeah. previously. That's what a real good twist does. Six Sense, Fight Club. Yeah. You know those real good twists that make you want to watch that film again and pick out all those moments. And, and think, that's what I did. This oh is my our God, second. This makes sense. You
0: know, this is our second time watching it, and yeah. I noticed all these little things about, um, you know, how Albertino was acting. Yeah. Which is just. Baffles me as to why this wasn't intended to be the case.
1: And that's what's quite disappointing Mm. is that, you know, there's so much grey area, you know, um, and you are there and you're like, then why did the killer look like that? Mm. Why would he look like Stuart if it's not Stuart? You know, has... Is Steve imagining this person? You know? Mm. Is it... That's why. So I've led to a certain interpretation about him being a self-hating gay... Mm. Um, and all that business, but a lot of it doesn't add up No. to him being the killer. And,
0: and I like a film where they they leave the end and open, you know, Black Christmas, Hellbent, films like that. But that's just, the way this one was done, it just kind of, it could have been better.
1: It's, it's open, but it's, it's only open because it doesn't make much s- yeah sense necessarily. If the twist had been, Steve is absolutely the killer. Yeah here's a few flashbacks to show this. Mm, Yeah. Then that's great. Like, oh, wow, well done. You know, great. You had me there, you know, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. No. It's all kind of led up. It's all kind of left to us to figure out. And it doesn't quite add up. But that's cruising. Cruising. That is Cruising. Like I said, you know, we, we do
0: enjoy this film. It is a good film. It's yeah. not bad by any means. Um, we'd still recommend checking it out. Just obviously, watch it with the knowledge that it's not accurate
1: representation.
0: Um, it's yeah.
1: problematic. Well, we're here, and in, in this podcast was to look at genre cinema, uh, within Pride Month and its representation of gay and, and LGBT culture. Mm-hmm. Um, That's not us sitting here and saying, you know, this is a shit film. It's fairly well made, really. Um, It's an interesting film to watch. It's enjoyable in places. You know, there are times of, you know, tension. And, you know, William Frequent is not a bad filmmaker. You know, um, it just, you know, it's rife for criticism because of its representation.
0: Yes, that is uh, Pride Month done and dusted here. at Oracle Trash. Ever is anything that you wanted us to discuss that we didn't discuss. Let us know. And we'll add it to next year's uh, schedule for Pride Month.
1: Yeah, and at the end of the day, we're an LGBT podcast. Uh potentially sometime in the future, we we will cover yeah. another, a, gay film. Yes just, definitely. Just just because we want to. Yeah. Um, but for this month, we wanted we wanted to make sure we were looking at. Um, you know LGBT, genre cinema, and uh, uh, specifically for Pride, and trying to get us uh, the the spectrum. Yeah. I th- I think there's there's more sort of themes, um, particularly in horror films that could be looked at. Mm-hmm. You know, which would be very interesting for future episodes. So.
0: Well, uh, we we probably should update. Actually, uh, when we did our original versus remake episode last week, we. our best and worst of the month uh the month isn't over yet and i want to change my worst uh my worst is now the eurovision song contest film on netflix (laughs) uh we watched this dog shit film on friday and it was fucking dire
1: we are in the minority i didn't enjoy the film uh but we seem to be in the minority about this don't we apparently
0: so Apparently so. It's just Will Ferrell screaming and being flamboyant, being his usual self. It's boring. It is bland. It's predictable. It's not funny. It is a waste of a great opportunity. And
1: even Rachel McAdams can't save it. It's a. It's not a Eurovision film. We're big fans of Eurovision. Uh, it's not a Eurovision film. It's a Will Ferrell film that happens to be around the Eurovision. Yeah. Um, It's not... What I wanted was a film that mocked but also embraced the quirkiness and the eccentricities of the Eurovision Song Contest. Um, I wanted, uh, like, a mockumentary style. That's what I was hoping Mm. it would be. And we would have a real cast of characters, a real ensemble uh, piece that, you know... (sighs) had a heart mm. and, and, and looked at, you know, these countries coming together. And in the film, there, there's some um, suggestion as to Russia and LGBT life in Russia as well. I would have liked maybe a more fully formed character, for that. Yeah, I think that would have been more interesting and looking at the quirks and the foibles of the different countries represented in Eurovision and what that we didn't get that we got dick jokes, a lot of dick jokes. Mm-hmm. We got Phil Phil Werrell. Uh Will Farrell screaming a lot mm. and um like the romance between him and Rachel McAdams was strange. Yeah. Because Rachel McAdams, a beautiful woman, um, she looked gorgeous in this film, I have to say. Um, I I feel like she's a lot younger than Will Ferrell. Yeah, she looked the, like his daughter. But the suggestion was that she was after him and he um, wasn't necessarily after her, which mm. I just really took me out of the film because I, I thought it was really weird.
0: The whole thing was bullshit. Um, but people seem to like it. I don't know why, but it brings us back to like music films from last year, like yesterday and blinded by the light, which people seem to worship and we didn't like those either. Yeah. So maybe it's just, I don't know, music films, only specific ones we like these days. And also know.
1: for a Eurovision film, there's not actually any fall, fall songs. No,
0: it, it's fucking weird, but I had to mention it because that has overtook my worst of the month for sure. Um, it was the set, but I, I, probably rather sit through the set and then watch that <laughs> bullshit again so if you're on social media uh, let us know what you think about cruising it, we are on Horror Court Trash over Facebook Instagram Horror Court Trash on Twitter uh, rate, review and subscribe if you're on iTunes to listen to this like and follow if you're on SoundCloud and everything else we might actually be on Spotify soon I'm currently working on that so uh, as Ooh. soon as you're on there we'll be posting links to let you know I'm GazCrows 92 on Twitter Gazmo92 ni- Okay let me I'd say this every fucking week and I've messed it up they're like Gaz92 on Letterbox Gazmo92 on Instagram I think you can do just it Just search Gary Cruz on Instagram and Twitter you'll find me. <laughs> Why can't I fucking remember that this week Give your easy one Because you're the same On everything (laughs)
1: I'm uh, Chris Barker 823 On Instagram Letterboxd And Twitter I need to Seriously sort my uh, Usernames out Apparently You should So so much easier We'll be back
0: next week With some trash We're Bringing back the trash It's been a while We'll be back with At Dawn sleep. Next week Oh Yeah Nice So we'll see you The same time Same place next week Bye.